Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to an author in my area, a lovely author, by the way, and her name is Rachel Linden. So Rachel, would you like to say hi to our listeners? Hi, I'm so excited to be with you today. Thanks, Vicki, for the opportunity. Oh, you bet. Well, everybody knows um, when they listen to my podcast, I either hunt the authors down myself or they come find me and you happen to be one that I found. <laughs> so when I saw your, your latest book cover, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to see if I can get her on the podcast. <laughs> so, oh, thank you. I'm really excited. But let's get started um, with you introducing yourself a little bit to our listeners. Um, we'll start out with what state that you reside in in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm in Washington. Is this like a Where's Waldo? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I'm yeah. Somewhere in Washington State. Somewhere in Washington State. North, southwest, east, because I kind of know where you're I'm at. I'm in the west side. I'll just, I'll just take all the mystery out of it. So I am in Seattle. I'm a diehard Seattleite. I married a Pacific Northwestern boy and... Um, fell very hard for the Pacific Northwest. Yay, I love it. Not that I don't love all my other authors that have come on that have moved here, but I'm always thrilled to have a native on because I'm native as well. And um, not Yes, well, I'm a, I'm a transplant, but I married a native. About okay, 10 so years, you're technically by marriage. We claim you. Exactly, but, <laughs> but I like sort of sneak in because I'm like, oh, but my husband, yes, he exactly. is in the Pacific Northwest. So it kind of counts. No, it does count because I think marriage, you know, you take on so much from your spouse. Yeah. Yes. And honestly, the first time he brought me out, I looked around at the Pacific Northwest and I looked at him and I said, oh God, let me marry this man and let me move to Seattle. So, that sealed the deal right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Smart guy. He brought you to Seattle. Hopefully he brought you like in the summertime when it was gorgeous. And Oh, he did. Oh, yeah. he did. But honestly, I love cool weather and I like gray, so it does mm-hmm. not bother me at all. Well, you've been experiencing the summer of your dreams, I feel like, because we've had uh-huh. this... We're recording this, everyone, in um, the summer months where we're supposed to hit our sunshine, which I live for, and it's like been really muggy and hot, but cloudy every morning. And I'm I'm still getting a lot of clouds down. So I'm southwest from you, and I'm like, oh my gosh, when are we going to get summer? <laughs> oh gosh! And see, I the sun comes, and I feel like I'm a little bit vampire. I get a little bit um, suspicious of it, like. What is this brightness and the glare and the hotness? This is unnatural. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I was I made it. for this climate. Oh, I love it. Well, the Northwest, we're lucky enough to have all the seasons. So we, we all get what we need right here. So yeah, yeah that's true. So tell us a little bit about yourself too. Um, have you always been an author? Do you have a day job? Have you been one of those fortunate individuals that I get to interview that have always known you wanted to be a writer and that's what you did and that's where you're at? Well, I, it's interesting. I'm, I have a binary career. So I have always been a storyteller and I wrote my first book when I was six years old, as soon as I could hold a pen, maybe I was seven, um, and a pencil and I bound it in cardboard from cereal boxes. I love it. I'm, my mom still has it. And, and of all things, I hadn't learned anything about any, you know, of the craft. So, um, it was called beans with an exclamation point. And it was all about my favorite vegetable. So it wasn't particularly riveting, but mm-hmm. it definitely was a harbinger of things to come in terms of my interests and what I love to do in storytelling and making books. 
So I have always been writing stories. I've been writing a story as long as I can remember. Um, but I ended up going into international aid work for a number of oh, years. Okay. And then after seven years overseas in international aid work, went to 50 countries, had all kinds of fascinating, heartbreaking, wonderful, and amazing experiences. And then thought, you know, I think I'm ready to, to launch myself um, as an author full time. And so I am still doing some international aid work, but mostly I am focusing as a professional novelist. But I think that international aid work that you did probably really expanded your ability to write those stories that are just sitting in there, right, for you. <laughs> so, Yeah, it, I, I definitely provided a lot of grist for the story mill. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. What a great background. So now you're a full-time author. Um, so congratulations. That's what I would aspire to be when I grow up. <laughs> oh, I hope you get there. I'm, I'm working on it. So if you, you probably haven't listened to the podcast, but my listeners know um, a year ago, I, I spoke it out, said I'm going to start writing a book. Um, I work in higher... I work in higher ed and um, been in higher ed for uh, almost 12 years now, 15 years. And I was getting to the place where I'm like, okay, I need to start thinking about retirement and I don't want to do higher ed forever. And so I was either going to go get my doctorate um, or I was going and move up more in higher ed or do something else. And my husband's like, you're just such a great writer. Why don't you just write? I love my husband because he's so smart. And yeah. Yeah. So a year ago I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I started telling people, and then I started asking authors, how did you get where you're at? Published authors, thus the podcast, which has taken over the writing space <laughs> a little bit sometimes. Oh goodness. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been such a fun journey. So my goal is to get my, my first book I'm working on is um, in the middle of being edits right now with a really strong uh, writers group. And they are all published writers groups. They invited me in to, after they heard about my podcast, heard some of them, met me. And they're like, oh my gosh, come join us. You're a part of the group. <laughs> um, so first book is on its way. And I don't have a release date, don't have a publisher yet. But I'm learning so much by listening to other people talk like you. Uh, so I aspire to be there in the future. Um, and so while we're talking about that, I like to ask some tricky questions that you may not have been prepared for because they're a lot of fun. So we are told all the time as authors to read. So what are you currently reading, if anything? Mm. Oh, what a great question. And also, by the way, congratulations on your first novel. That is a Thank huge, you. is it a novel? It is a novel. novel. Yeah, I'm writing historical okay. fiction. So I have my oh, first wow. I of a, reading that. Yeah, first of a series of three. And it's it's actually turning out fantastic. I'm pretty excited about it. Of course, I love it, but <laughs> Well, that's good. That, that is the first step. You have to love the story you're gonna be sitting with for years and years. So yeah. that is wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. I love reading historical fiction, but I do not love the research. So I read it. I'm a consumer of it, but I'm not a producer of historical fiction. Yeah. I yeah. just like throw some little vintage themes into all of mine because I kind of want to live in the 1950s. But yes, yes. that's a good yeah. <laughs> so what am I? So what am I reading right now? So I am reading on my nightstand is All the Light We Cannot See, which I'm working through and just think is one of the most beautifully written books I've seen in years. Mm -hmm. I, am, I just finished um, How the Light Gets In by Jolena Petersham. Mm. And that was very interesting and unexpected. I really have enjoyed, I'm, she's an author friend of mine, and this is the first book I've read of hers, and I just really enjoyed it. It's got a little bit of, a, um, I would say, a, mm, a literary bent to it, and her mm. writing is beautiful. 
Wonderful. And then I am Yeah, definitely take a look at her. Uh, she comes from a Mennonite background and so does mm-hmm. a lot of um, interesting aspects of that community sure. in the Midwest. Yeah. And then I'm reading the go- an arc of the golden hour by Beatrice Williams and uh, excited about that one. Just dived into that one. And I'm reading um, all manner of things by Susie Finkbeiner. Nice. So, and that just came out. so several new releases. Fantastic. I love new releases. I, my, well, since I started the podcast, it's gotten worse, but my reading list is just growing and growing and growing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It starts, it's it's getting monstrous. I know there are so many good books in the world, and I'm a mom of two young kids. I have a two year old and a five year old, and so my reading time has really shrunk since okay. having children. So I am faithfully working my way through, but I'm probably at about a tenth of what I used to be. Yeah. And so there are these great books. And I end up reading a lot of books by author friends of mine who I respect and have that personal connection with. And that's really fun to do it as an author and as a friend, dissecting the craft, but also just enjoying someone I know and the beautiful mm-hmm. story that they're telling. I think that's so fantastic. And we have such a great, there's a great author community out in this world. And I didn't realize that. I mean, I kind of decided I was going to just do this. And then I discovered so many great authors. And now my book list is getting so much bigger because I mean, I have to read their book too. <laughs> so, <laughs> such a yep. dilemma, right? Oh, yep. poor me. <laughs> First world problems, you could say. Um, that's a fabulous problem to have but it is it is hard when you just think oh my goodness there are all these talented people telling these amazing stories and it's hard to fit it all in it is it truly is so here's another stumper question Rachel that I like to ask and and it doesn't have to pertain to writing or authorship but having our listeners they this might be their first time being introduced to you um what is one thing you would like them to know about you from this podcast and it can be related to your um, writing career, but it can be completely unrelated as well. I put so much of my own life experiences and my passions in my stories. So I just last week released my third novel, The Enlightenment Mm -hmm. of Bees. Mm -hmm. And the last two were Becoming the Talbot Sisters and Ascension of Larks. And they take place in uh, foreign locations that I love. The first one, Ascension of Larks, takes takes place on our very own San Juan Island, mm. which is a really special place for our family. Yeah. So geographically, I have really put places, these stories in places that I just know and love very deeply. Becoming the Talbot Sisters is based mostly in Budapest in Central Europe, where I was living for five years. And then I also, uh, I love to tell stories about strong women facing big challenges and triumphing. That and I will always put in, what's that? Oh, no, go ahead. You will always put in, then I'll interrupt you. <laughs> Oh, uh, and then I always put in, there will always be themes about hope, courage, and relational connection. There will always be a little bit of romance. There will be a hopeful and uplifting ending, and there will be some social justice issues that pertain to women and uh, a story of women triumphing over big, big things. And, and, um, so my listeners know me well enough. If they've listened to any of my podcasts, they know that, that, that is probably why I was drawn to you because when I found your book, um, and then I started, I looked on your beautiful website, by the way, I looked on your website and I read that part of it, of who you are. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I know that I will love Rachel and I'll also love her work because I, I am so drawn to strong female characters, but also not just the glossy, fun female characters that are strong and people that, you know, reality, they have to be strong because they've come through something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's what makes story. I mean, we read story because we have empathy with characters 
and they have conflict. And we love that. We love to go on this journey with them where they are triumphing and they are experiencing these things that we're vicariously experiencing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So wonderful. So, and that pretty much explains the one question I was going to ask or have you defined, because on your website, it says you're a contemporary women's author. So that just... To, if you could redefine that for us, because what I want people to understand is that not necessarily that doesn't mean romance. There can be romance in it, but it's not necessarily romance only, correct? Yeah, it's a different it's a different genre than romance. So women's women's fiction would be um generally there will be women as main characters. Sometimes there will be things from men's point of view, but in women's fiction, you won't have a male main character in general. Mm -hmm. And there will be more of an emphasis on relational and emotional issues. There will Mm -hmm. be an emphasis on issues that pertain to women's lives specifically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Awesome. Now it doesn't necessarily have to be in this time period either. Cause from what I understand, some of your work is in other time periods, correct? Nope. It's all, it's all contemporary. Oh, okay. For some reason, it thought you, maybe you, I read that you're inspired by other time periods and that's what I was Yeah, thinking. I do. I do love historical fiction and um, I do sort of put some vintage flair into all of the books, but they are, they're all contemporary within the last few years. They're all contemporary. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Sounds awesome. Well, tell us a little bit. Um, I like to dive into the author's writing process because this podcast is the audience has been a lot of people that are listening for picking up new books to read, but a lot of it also almost half and half are authors that are like me that are working on getting published and, and the craft. So tell us a little bit about your writing process. Um, do you, and, and the framework of this, do you have a specific time during the day you write? Do you have a ritual that you go through before you start writing? Kind of take us through the day of, of when you're going to write or how you write. <laughs> well, my answer would have been very different before having young children. And so <laughs> Imagine. Um, I get a lot of, yeah, I get a lot of questions about like, oh, what is your, what is your artistic process like? And I say, well, my artistic process right now is basically like panic combined with brisk efficiency. <laughs> Spoken because from a true I have, mother. <laughs> I, yes, I have deadlines and I have very limited time. And so I do not have a particular time of the day that I write. I write when I can fit it in. And generally yeah. that's nap time or it's evenings if my husband is out doing something else. And I have learned that I, the best way for me is to live with the story in my day-to-day life. So when I am doing the dishes or doing the laundry or making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I am also thinking about the story. Mm-hmm. And I try to stay one, hep- one step ahead of my writing process. So I try to know the next thing that happens so that when I sit down with those precious minutes of writing time, I can just write the next scene. So I always try to stay at least a scene ahead. Um, I have become more of a plotter than a, a fly by the seat of your pantser. Yeah. I used to be a lot more just explore the story, explore the space, see what feels right. And now because I have, I'm working more on a deadline. My publisher generally wants a book a year and that's quite a high order for a uh, women's fiction that is running about 90,000 words. Yeah. And a mother with two small children. <laughs> that's and not mothering with two small children. Yeah. So, uh, so I just don't have time. I don't have the luxury of kind of having this more free flowing process. So I've had to refine uh, what I'm doing to, to have more of a focus, more of a goal, understand my characters before I start a story instead of like exploring them as I write them and going, Oh, okay, I'm discovering this. So I still, it's, it's a process of discovery. I'll start a story, knowing where it starts, where it ends, and some major events in the middle. But mm-hmm. then um, 
there's still some room for unexpected things, for deepening, for broadening, for strengthening those storylines, which is my favorite part. Um, But I am trying to be a lot more focused on um, uh, starting a story strong and going for it with more of an idea of how it's going to work out. I totally like that. That's kind of how I process. I don't have deadlines like that. Um, but I knew where the story was going to go across probably three books. Um, and I knew the main characters and all the other characters, but I'd been thinking about it for a very long time. I hadn't written it down and planned it in that sense. Um, and then I started to, I have the luxury of sit down and writing, uh, planning it right now. (laughs) So I've been able to do that, but with your first book, so were you, did you have your story pitched before you wrote your first book or did you write your first book and then get you pitch it and get a um, um, agent and go the traditional route. So did your first book, did you have some luxury to plan a little bit before deadlines? Oh yeah. My first book I spent six years on while I was doing international aid work. And so Uh I just played with it, had a little, you know, really did different revisions. I'd put it down for months, pick it up. So it was a very slow, luxurious process. And and turned out a story that was really um, tightly written and had gone through a lot of editing. And, and I was able to just play with it a lot, which was good. It was good for my development. And then when I decided that I wanted to try to get an agent and a publisher, that was, I actually pitched a story that I had written before and mm-hmm. got a lot of interest, but it just wasn't, honestly, it wasn't a strong enough novel. I had certain things that were great, but it just wasn't, it didn't come together as a whole. And every single person agents, editors, publishing houses, everybody said the same thing. They were like, you are a great writer, but this story, we just aren't quite sure how we would sell it. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when you hear that 10 times, you go, okay, this story is not going to see the light of day. What can I learn from this? And how do I make the next story sellable? Mm -hmm. So the next one uh, was the one that I wrote with an eye toward having it published. And that was Ascension of Larks. And that was the one that ended up um, getting me an agent and then landing me a publishing contract with Harper Collins. Oh, I think that's an awesome example of really listening to the feedback that you're getting. And, you know, instead of just trying to really push that particular work and saying, no, but this has to be my first one, (laughs) you know, and just really learning from it and moving on. So that's, that's fantastic. What a great story. Thank you for sharing. And it's hard. Oh yeah, of course. And it's hard because we pour our blood, sweat, toil, and tears into these stories and we are so emotionally connected. They are our book babies. And to have someone say, yeah, I know you put three years into this, but honestly, it's not good enough to publish. That is, that is so disappointing. Mm-hmm. But the reality is when you're working on a craft like writing fiction, you will probably have one or two or even three books that you write where they're just not good enough. They're like your practice books mm-hmm. because it's um, part, of, part of being an author is sheer talent, just having a knack for words, having a mind that thinks in stories, but a lot of it is about perfecting craft. It's about mm-hmm. honing craft and it's about growing. And those things, you can come in stronger in certain areas than others, but there will always be things you can improve. And so um, I don't think that anybody should, I, I mean, almost every author I know has a manuscript that didn't get published that was like their practice manuscript or mm-hmm. more than one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I find that encouraging because I've only met, and I've done quite a few uh, interviews in the last, I don't know, year. Um, I've met a lot of authors that had practice manuscripts or a story that didn't get out. And it makes me feel better <laughs> sometimes, you know, cause, cause I wonder, you know, with this first book, I would love it to be my debut 
novel that launches me into a wonderful career. But I also am fully aware, A, I have several other stories in the back of my mind waiting to come out. And B, it is my first, you know, attempt at all this. So, so you're right in that. But I have ran into a couple that have been fantastic right out of the gate. But I think, I think that's rare and far and few between <laughs> for us. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, so yeah. So then I decided to get, um, an agent and mm-hmm. I had met one at a conference and we had hit it off. He had given me his card and said, Hey, send something to me. And then I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, let's just start big. So I only queried agents who represented New York, New York times bestsellers. Cause I thought, well, I'll just start at the top and work my way down and we'll see what happens. And, well, that's awesome. and I ended up going, yeah, I just thought, well, there's nothing to lose. Like I'm expecting rejection and there were some rejections as there is. I mean, so much of the author life is patience and perseverance and rejection mm-hmm. and handling yep. criticism yep. and, and just continuing being steadfast and going for it because you love what you do and you're going to keep doing it. So, um, so I just sort of thought, okay, I'm going to get rejections, but let's go for the top. And I ended up landing a really wonderful, very highly respected agent who then uh, got a, a two book contract for me with Harper Collins and mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. kind of launched me, which was absolutely wonderful. It was a total dream. And really, um, I mean, there are a lot of different ways that you can be publishing these days, but I knew that for me, I wanted to go traditional and I wanted to go with the biggest, most established publishing house I could. And that for me has been really good and an excellent experience. And I've really learned a huge amount. What an awesome and inspiring story. And and I think that's another reason why I wanted to bring you on because I do have a lot of self-published and hybrid publishing authors that come on. And I love everybody's individual journeys. Um, it also inspires me to know that there's not just one path and one book might not be going along the same path as maybe another book or another story. And so, but I love, Rachel, that you just said, I'm going to start from the top and work my way down because that's not the advice that I have been given over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to looking for agents and things like that. So bravo, congratulations. And I think that's absolutely wonderful um, that you did that. I'm not sure if I have the guts to do that, but <laughs> maybe you'll inspire me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a tendency to just sort of go, all right, I'm just going to go for it and leap and afterwards think, oh, wow, that was a little bit crazy. So I have a lot of bravado at the beginning, but it uh-huh. often works out. Well, and I think it works out because you jump in first, right? I think that's your personality and, it, and people are drawn to that. So that's wonderful. So I'd like to ask authors a little bit about support groups and or associations, things like that, that might have um, contributed to them as they've been working in that process of getting published or finding their agent. Did you have a writer's group or a support group that you worked with? Yes, I have had two groups. The first one was when I was in graduate school in Chicago, and I met uh, every other week with a group of women. We were all writing, I think we were all writing our first novels, and they were wonderful. It was a group of three or four other women, four other women, and it was great. It was great to have a warm, supportive critique group. We would read chapters, we would discuss. So that was a very hands-on, very small relational group, and that was exactly what I needed for that point in time. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a bit further along in the journey and I have found that I don't need the critique group for my writing as much as I do 
for um, marketing and the professional Mm -hmm. aspects of authoring because Mm -hmm. that is a completely new field for me, Mm -hmm. very steep learning curve. And what is expected of an author these days is a significant amount. Mm -hmm. Uh, 20 years ago, you wrote a book and your publisher handled most of the the, the publicity and marketing. Yeah. And that is not the case today. Even if you are published by a big, one of the big four or big five publishing houses, mm-hmm. you are expected to do a, a huge amount. So mm-hmm. I am now part of, I've formed a group of women who are all writing in my genre and they're from different walks of life. Some are just doing, um, publishing their debut novel this year. Some have I have like 12 or 15 books. Um, one of them, one of the women actually is publishing her 70th novel. Oh my amazing. goodness. That's awesome. And it's amazing. And we're in an online community. It's a closed group and we just provide support and encouragement for one another. And so we will post all these questions and everybody chimes in and the amount of knowledge and encouragement that is given as we kind of all go forward in this writing life is invaluable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I think that's fantastic for you guys. I I started out thinking, you know, you're you're a writer. You're all isolated into yourself, right? Well, we might do that with your writing, but like you said, as I started to discover the business of writing, the whole authorship part of it, of getting yourself out there, regardless of how you're published, is such a huge thing. It's it's enormous, and I'm I'm not sure if. Um, readers realize how much marketing an author needs to do for themselves these days. <laughs> so, so I think that's awesome. And I love online work. I work remotely from home with my, in my faculty position and online uh, resources and online support is so nice because <laughs> you can do it at your time frame and be able to be involved in it. So that's really exciting. So give me a tip for somebody like me, an aspiring author, I mean, I'm sure you have more than one, but just one tip as far as making myself, getting myself out there with a book when I'm ready to do that. Oh gosh. Okay. Only one. You sure yes. I can't give you two? Okay. Give me two. Okay. You can give me three. Okay. I'll give, you as many as you I'll give you two. I'll give you at least two. Okay. So the first one is, and you just have touched on this, but I want to highlight it. Uh, the writing life, the author life is relational. Everything in life springs from relationship and writing is no, no different. So it's true that when we are writing a story, we are in our, we're doing it in a solitary way a lot of times, but everything else goes so much better in the author life. If you have support, if you have Mm -hmm. friendships, if you have connections and relationships. And so I think that that is incredibly important. Um, just showing up face to face. So going to conferences, Mm -hmm. knowing who your readers are and who your fellow authors are going to conferences and meeting them, having an online group, uh, making sure that you're forming relationships with people who are influential for you, not, not just for the sheer, um, what you can get from it, but just from a relational perspective. Mm-hmm. So what we learned in Central Europe when we were living in Central Europe is that nothing happens until you have coffee with someone. Oh, and I <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, it's true. Like you have coffee with someone and then you have relationship and then all the work gets done. And I wouldn't say that it's quite like that in authoring, but it is significant that you yeah. form relationships and then from those relationships bring all kinds of other things. So I can't overemphasize the importance of putting yourself out there relationally, being yourself, forming true friendships, making connections, and those connections lead to other connections. And if you're being genuine and not being kind of slimy and gross and just trying to sell people stuff, yeah. um, it ends up being wonderful. One of my very favorite authors who is a mentor to me, um, and also a Pacific Northwest author, um, 
Debbie Maycomer, she just says uh, that she seeks to bless people and to connect. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And she is just a phenomenally successful author. But I love that, that she is still with like 200 million copies sold, this dream career that we would all just be amazed to have, that she is still seeking to bless her readers, to bless other authors, to connect with them, and to really give of herself relationally. And I think that's a huge, huge, huge key. I, I think so, Tina. I love her too as well. I've read some of her work and pursued her to come on the podcast, <laughs> but we haven't had her on yet. Um, but I, I've read some of the things that she has said about that. And honest to goodness, for me, I really didn't think that was going to be the case. And I was so fortunate to have the opportunity to meet so many wonderful authors in the, in the Pacific Northwest and in my area and discover that amazing gem of relationships is so important in survival and enriching the whole process of writing for me. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad you touched on that because I think that a lot of people have a perception that authors just are introvert. And yeah, we may be introvert, but we also need to be ever extrovert in the sense that we have to have relationships too and to develop. So good point. I love it. Okay. So how about your so second? The other, okay. My second point, my freebie point that you're letting me graciously have is, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that we right now, we cannot overemphasize the importance of marketing, of having marketing savvy yeah. for an author. It can feel the authors that I know Everybody knows how to write a book, but a lot of us are struggling to know how to market in this yeah. current, um, you know, world of Amazon and Facebook and Instagram, and mm-hmm. it's, it's changing very, very quickly. And the burden on an author is continuous and significant. And so I think uh, I I came in three years ago with my first book. And I didn't know anything about platform or brand. Mm-hmm. The publishing people, I guess it was four years ago, the people at my publishing house were saying, okay, so what's your brand? And I was thinking, brand? No, <laughs> uh, so I just didn't know. I had this beautiful book and I had mm-hmm. no idea who I was, who, what my personal brand was. So I have been having, a in the last four years, a crash course in marketing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've learned so much, but I also feel like if I had known this in advance, I would have saved myself probably like almost the stomach, stomach ulcer and a lot of hours and a lot of tears and a lot mm-hmm. of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, I am watching some authors who are doing debut novels now this year, and mm-hmm. they have set themselves up very well. They know their brand. They have gotten a following online. Mm-hmm. They have sort of, they've just established their marketing smartly before their book even hits the shelves. Mm -hmm. And I think they're coming in from quite a position of strength. And that can be very hard and daunting to think about doing that before you even have a thing to sell, you know, like how, why does someone want to follow me? But they really, people want relational connection and you want to be showing them who you are. Um, So there are lots of good books on branding. There's lots of good online content about branding, but, um, and marketing, but that is what I would say that um, it is not enough to have a great story. It is not enough to be a great writer. You have to be a great marketer and you have to be smart and savvy about your marketing and your brand. And the earlier you can do that and the more refined you can get it and keep on point with that, the better you will do. Yeah, I love it. So thank you for sharing that because it just really reminds me um, once again, a year ago, you know, when I started all this, I spent a lot of time even just looking at 
quite a bit of um, how the industry has changed. I, so I'm a researcher by trade, thus the historical fiction part of me. Um, you know, I have a librarian background, and so I can't help myself but dig into everything before I start something. Um, and I found that there were in the last year and before, so there was some amazing content out on how to market yourself as an author. And I'm like, I had no idea this was going to be a part of it. Now, I'm excited by it because I love that kind of thing. Um, but it's so it can be very exhausting and daunting. And um, I'll when I started the podcast, I went after the podcast very similar as I would a book. And so I was like, I got to get the podcast out there. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I was talking to my author friends and I'm like, I need to get on Twitter. And at the time I had one Twitter follower who was my mother, which she never went on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And I was dying. I'm like, how do we get on Twitter? And she's like, so she coached me on a couple things I could do. And literally within four months, I had like hundreds of followers from just some of the ideas that she suggests. There's some Twitter games, hashtag games you can do, things like that. And then by the time I had my first release of my first episode of the podcast, I had places to release it out there and grow a community. And, and so I was fascinated at how fast that can happen, but also how time consuming it can be. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Because it seriously has taken away from that dual time of writing. Like you talk about for you, you know, with your kids and, you know, you also did your marketing and, and you have your deadlines. So, so I appreciate you sharing that right up front, you know, as far as how much work there is involved. <laughs> what we lovingly call, call my house, the side hustle is my podcast and my writing. It's the side <laughs> So my husband, who's not home right now, because he would be home, he's like, oh, we got a side hustle today. I'll go and do this or do that before I come home. (laughs) (laughs) So I love it. Well, tell us your titles again and refresh our memory, because you mentioned them at the very beginning, your three titles that you have. And then um, share share with us, Rachel, um, start setting the stage for your reading, because my listeners love to hear the readings from the author. So tell us which book you're going to read from and set the stage for for, um, what you're going to read out of for us. Sure. Okay. So my three titles are Ascension of Larks, which is set on San Juan Island and is about a a globetrotting photographer who loses the only man she's ever loved goes back to the island to care for his widow, who is her three, her best friend, and their three young children, and learns to embrace an unexpected life after loss. Oh. Then Becoming the Talbot Sisters um, is set in Budapest and Central Europe, and it follows twin, estranged twin sisters, um, one of whom is a celebrity chef and the other who volunteers to be a surrogate and carry a baby for her sister. And they end up going on a very unexpected road trip across central Europe. Oh. And that's all about women learning to be everyday brave. Oh, I love it. Both of the titles I'm very excited about. San Juan Islands has a super huge place in my heart as well. My dad, um, we're, like I said, we're pretty Southwest Washington. And so my dad had a boat for several summers and we went up to the San Juan Islands every summer with my family and my kid was when we were kids. And to this day, I have fond, fond memories of <laughs> San Juan Islands because I loved it so much. Oh, it's such a special place. It was so fun to set it on the island. My my husband's family lives on the island, and so we are there quite frequently. We just love, I love it. It's one of my favorite places on earth. And yeah. then Budapest in Central Europe as well. Not a place that's written about very much, but a place that is just amazingly rich in history and culture. Mm-hmm. And so I loved it. Was, I wrote it as we were moving back to the U.S., back to Seattle. So it's kind of my love letter to Central oh, Europe. What a and, great way. Um, <laughs> and then 
<laughs> the Enlightenment of Bees is the third one that just came out last week, um, actually a week ago on last Tuesday. Oh. And it's about an idealistic Seattle baker who thinks she has her entire life planned out. And when everything crumbles, she ends up going on an around the world humanitarian trip to find her new sweet spot in life. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> First is because out of Seattle, you know, like I feel like that's just such a great opportunity right there, but sounds like she might have some influence from your travels as well involved there. <laughs> yeah, all of them do, all of them. And uh, one of the funnest things about Enlightenment of Bees, well, one of, there are two things. One is that there's um, the uh, love story. The main character, Mia's grandmother, ends up with this really late in life, beautiful, bittersweet love story. And it's based on my own 92-year-old grandmother's late in life love story. Oh, that's and wonderful. And it's a sweet, wonderful part of the story. And then the other thing is that I was actually, uh, Mia and her team end up first in Mumbai, in the slums of Mumbai, and then in the refugee camps on the border of Hungary during the refugee crisis in Europe Mm -hmm. in 2015. And I was there in the camp I'm writing about volunteering during the refugee crisis. So that is very close to my heart. One of the main, one of the characters in the story is based on a girl, an Iraqi girl that I met. And so, so there are a lot of uh, things that are based on elements of my life or experience I've, I've had that are in this story. And that absolutely have to be shared, right? I, I just feel that there's not enough of that sharing for our world to know really what was going on, what was happening there. And people need to hear those stories from individuals like you that went and volunteered and, and helped. So thank you for going first. And also thank you for sharing your story so that others can really know what was going on. <laughs> so Of course. And it's my pleasure. And I love to talk about these, you know, these Strong women facing big things, but also doing it in a way that is hopeful and is life-giving and empowering to women as they read these stories. Fantastic. Well, let's dig in. So I'm going to go ahead and let you do your reading. Um, my listeners know that I go completely silent so I can come focus in on what you're reading, Rachel. And then when you're done, just let us know we're done and I'll take us out of the podcast. Okay, wonderful. So I'm going to read a selection from The Enlightenment of Bees. And this is... Um, This is a hard day in Mia's life. This is when her life starts to crumble. So she has been dating her boyfriend, Ethan, for six years, and it's their six-year anniversary. He's taking her to Pipe Place Market. They're going to go up in the big Ferris wheel and um, down on the waterfront in Seattle, and she finds a little blue Tiffany box in his satchel and realizes that he's going to propose. And it is the culmination of the things she's been hoping for. It's going to start their life, the life that they've planned out with a craftsman, a craftsman house in Green Lake and a French bulldog named Butterworth. And this entire life they have planned, she thinks is about to start as he's proposing. And so they're up in the Ferris wheel and things, um, things do not go as she thinks they are going to go. So we'll join Mia and see what happens. Twenty minutes later, our airy glass and steel gondola lifts us into the air above the Seattle waterfront. For a moment, I forget everything else and lean forward eagerly, taking in the breathtaking panorama, the wide gray-blue of Elliott Bay below us, flat and shiny as a new nickel, and beyond that, the low green mound of Bainbridge Island. Farther west, beyond Bainbridge, the snow-capped Olympic Mountains rise jagged and majestic on the peninsula, and behind and below us lies Seattle, my beloved city. Our capsule pauses at the apex of the ride. Ethan clears his throat. Mia. I snap to attention, sitting up straight and swallowing hard as Ethan reaches into his messenger bag and pulls out the Tiffany blue box. It sits in his palm, a beautiful invitation, 
a promise. Yes, I almost whispered before he asks the question. I'll marry you. The words sit on my tongue, lozenge-shaped and weighty with commitment. I want them to be smooth when I utter them, round and smooth as pearls. Mia, his hands are trembling. Those beautiful hands that have interlaced with mine a thousand times that can mix a perfect margarita, strum an Eric Clapton tune on the guitar. He meets my eyes, his the limpid blue of the Caribbean shallows. He opens the box and I stifle a gasp. The round diamond solitaire sparkles in the sun, throwing rainbow glints of light across the white walls of our capsule. Ethan opens his mouth, then glances down at the ring and pauses. His silence stretches long. Yes, I prompt, but he doesn't say anything. Ethan? I stare at him in bewilderment. He fiddles with the ring in the box, then looks up and meets my gaze with a pained expression. It's strange how many things begin and end without words. I learned once in a college communication class that only 35% of conversation is what you say. The rest is nonverbal. And so this is how I finally know. Not with a flood of words, not from a mouth twisted in grief, but with two eyes that slide from mine like oil on water. Dread sinks like lead, cold and hard in my stomach. Oh no, oh no, what's happening? I, I can't, he says, as our gondola starts the descent from the top with a jerk. I'm sorry, I thought this was the right thing to do, but I can't, I can't seem to make myself propose. He looks so surprised. He fumbles with a box, snapping it closed. The click of that lid shatters my hopes and expectations. Mia, I need to take a break from us. I can't go forward right now. After that, I hear only the outline of his words, going different directions, been growing apart for a while now, need time to figure things out. Will I give him space? His words are rushed, a little pleading, as though he thinks he can rationalize me into agreement or at least understanding. But I can't make out the details over the ringing in my ears. This can't be happening. I look down at the colorful buildings along the pier far below. The Seattle Aquarium, Miner's Landing with its carousel and carnival music, the old curiosity shop where you can see a preserved walrus penis and purchase gaudy souvenirs from Seattle. I glance back at him, sure I've misunderstood, but he is waiting for an answer looking at me pleadingly. I know every bone and freckle of him, but I didn't see this coming. I didn't know this corner of his heart. I swallow and swallow again, unable to get my bearings. What can I possibly say? I feel dizzy, as though the gondola is listening to one side, leaning too far out over the water. I have the sensation for one brief second of falling. How long has he seen this coming? Did he really intend to propose and then at the last moment gain this flash of insight? This earth-shattering clarity? Please, Mia, I just need a little time to figure this out. I don't know what's wrong. I just need some space to get my head on straight. I can see the fear in his eyes, in the rapid throb of the pulse in his neck. He looks trapped by the circumstances, by his own words. I dart a look around the gondola and then down again. Below us, an Argosy dinner cruise ship is docked in the harbor and tiny people are gathering beside it. Beyond the pier lies the ferry terminal for the islands, and farther south the monolithic red container cranes of the port. What about the ring and the little blue box? What about our future together? The craftsman cottage and Butterworth and the flaky morning buns? I want to ask so many things, but in the end, I just ask why. He gestures helplessly. With those hands that have cupped my face so tenderly, brushed away tears with his knuckles when I cried. I don't know. I just don't know if this is right anymore. Please give me time to figure it out. His tone is pleading for me to understand, but I don't. Not at all. I can't think of what to say to change his mind. 
So as the Ferris wheel slowly completes its final rotation, I agree to give him space, three days to determine the course of our future. I agree because my heart is breaking. I can't seem to draw enough air into my lungs. I'm choking on the panic and grief welling up in my throat. The disappointment and fear taste bitter on my mouth, like the charred edges of burnt toast. When our gondola finally bumps to a stop, I alight with as much courage and grace as I can muster. My eyes are dikes for a sea of tears. My pride, the little Dutch boy's finger trying to hold back the flood. Let me know, I tell Ethan finally, when you figure it out. He takes a step toward me, his expression pained, but I quickly step back, clutching my jacket. I glance at his messenger bag, picturing the little blue box sitting within like a broken promise. Mia, I'm sorry, he says. I look away. If I see pity in his eyes, I know it will be the end of us. Instead, I gather the shreds of my dignity and the small but stubborn hope that he will realize his mistake and come back to me, and I walk away. I don't look back at the man I love and the ruined remains of what I thought would be the happiest day of my life. Oh, heartbreaking. <laughs> Dying. Oh. oh, well, bravo. Thank you. Wow, very heartbreaking. It gets, much, it gets much more happy after that, so don't worry. That's like okay. the sad part. But it's, well, uh, it's, it's also, it, somebody asked me if it was hard to write, and I said no, because this is the part where her life takes off and goes in an unexpected direction and all sorts of things open up to her. So she just has to wait and hang on and it's going to get much better. I love it. I just get chills when you said that because I think that so much about life is that we have to go through a heartbreak of some sort to realize later on why that was leading us down a particular road. <laughs> so absolutely. And that's actually quite autobiographical for me as well, because mm-hmm. yeah, I was in a relationship and planning a wedding and, um, and it ended quite suddenly and I was 21 and, you know, Mia's 26 in the story. And when you're that young, you don't understand that sometimes in these endings, there are these beautiful seeds of a new beginning an unexpected beginning Absolutely. and unexpected path in life. And that's what we get to journey with Mia on this unexpected path. Well, I love it. And I think my listeners, if you are piqued and you're interested, make sure you go and find uh, Rachel's book. So Rachel, tell us, do you have any appearances that are coming up this summer? Because this will be coming out around the summer months. So is there anything that is coming up that um, listeners can come and find you at? Well, I've just done two in the Seattle area. I will be, if they check my website, I will update that regularly. I've got another one tomorrow in Anna Cordes at Watermark Books at 6 p.m. And it will be really fun. And um, we'll probably have a couple more, but that's that's one we have scheduled right now. Fantastic. Well, my listeners know that I'll keep your website on the show notes with the podcast so they can go there and they can sign up for your um, email list. And it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Rachel. You have inspired me. I'm excited to meet you. And um, when you write another book, come back on so we can talk about the next one. Thank you, Vicki. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you so much for having me and best of luck in your publishing journey. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. 
And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off. Thank you.